Vanim Mashinimla Gadek. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Azerbaijani for Let's Take My Car. Uh, riding along with me, <laughs> Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. That's the most Azerbaijani I've heard all day. I don't get the reference, though. Please take my car. Why would I want someone let's, to... Let's take my car. Let's take my car. Like, let's and drive it around Azerbaijan's capital city, Baku. Which you can do because it's a street circuit. Whoa, spoilers <laughs> for the track walk. Uh, also joining us uh, in our clown car here, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not bad. Uh, excited for a race that I know is not going to let us down. This one's going to uh, be great. Mm, China, that's it. the past. What are you doing? Curse of the commentator. <laughs> Are we commentators? No, we haven't done a uh, we haven't done a like live watch along podcast yet. No, that that could, the, that could I don't know how logistically we would do that for Patreon, but I guess theoretically we could do that. I no. think that would oh, also man. that would be the way to guarantee that we have a boring race. Like <laughs> yeah. tr- trying to fill air, we'll get like two red flags, and we'll have to like fill an hour of rain talk or something. <laughs> no, that only happens when you're covering endurance racing. Like right, if God, they how did they do flag, that? Yeah, yeah. No, the I could not get over the fact that they literally had Dale Earnhardt Jr. basically fill six hours of red flagged race uh, <laughs> to close out Daytona. Uh, it was great. That was one of those, you know, occasionally commentators really have to earn their paycheck. And <laughs> talking about two, six hours of rain, I think, is one of those circumstances. You just see the director and their monitor for six hours doing the stretch yep. thing, just for six hours. <laughs> Hey, let's go back to the first eight hours of this race and look at those highlights one more time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of hot content, uh, we've got a little bit coming up in uh, the next month for, for Patreon. Danny, what's on the schedule? Yeah, we got a Q&A coming, uh, which is one of our stretch goals when we first launched. Uh, we've uh, One of the three of us have recorded them, so <laughs> myself and Rob are getting to that uh, soon enough. Um, the next F1 game history will be going up. Of course, the first one we did was Jeff Crammon's Formula 1 Grand Prix. Uh, the votes, I did another vote for this one, and I was completely shocked. Mario Andretti on the Genesis or Mega Drive and Project Cars spoke, uh, were joint in third with 32 votes. Super Monaco Grand Prix 2, which literally has Ayrton Senna's face on the fucking box. I was like, this, it has to win. It got 50 votes, but it was outvoted. Wait. Oh, no, by, but that's so good. I know. It was outvoted by one of the worst F1 games of all time. <laughs> F1 pole position on Nintendo 64, which I put in almost as a joke, not thinking that it would get like such a massive amount of votes. So now I have to play that hellish game for it's not for not the first time either i've owned it for a couple of years i think you underestimate the internet's uh nostalgia is senna gp2 the one where you're also like doing car development oh i don't know i'll never know now will i yeah i never know i'm I'm stuck in purgatory of terrible formula one games apparently um yeah, so that's all That's all uh, coming up. And we also have uh, uh, the next of our patron-exclusive podcasts, which we recorded about uh, the Isle of Man TT documentary, uh, TT 3D Closer to the Edge, will be coming up uh, in early May. It's uh, penned in on the 6th at the moment. So uh, if you're a patron or you want to be a patron, uh, look forward to that. Yeah, not about cars, but m- one of my favorite documentaries uh, yeah, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Absolutely terrible that it's not more widely available, but if you can, if you can check it out, um, figure it out and, and, and watch it. It's wonderful. Um, something that may be wonderful in the future, fellas, as we jump right into the news section, the Vietnam Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. Did you guys watch this onboard video? I think it's from uh, whatever firm that 
Herman Tilke works for. <laughs> oh, he didn't Me just and do my this in a released in... an onboard video of the Vietnam <laughs> Grand Prix. Is this how he actually sounds? Watch it, please. He sounds like a war criminal. Well, what he's done is some classic tracks. I don't think he's that far off. <laughs> we need more runoff. Uh, this appears to be um, Assetto Corsa or something, uh, a video from Motorsport Magazine, magazine.com, that I'll link in the show notes. But boy, it is, uh, it's, it's an interesting track. It's got a really, I'm watching it right now, it's a really long, uh, kind of like a Sochi-style turn totally. to kick it off. Well, that was when we talked about the layout, right? Like, there's, like I described it as kind of like a, uh, a bow uh, that's been drawn. And so the entire, like, you have these two really long, the, the sort of the front straight and then this back straight that are both just, like, really long and extended and just separated by this little partition. And they go to this little ring. And, yeah, so, like, the first half of the lap is just these, like, really long, flat-out uh, straights. I don't know that that's going to make for... Amazing, like who knows? We never know anything until we see these things run, yeah. and then it all depends on what regulations it's run under. But it certainly looks like a pretty fast course. Uh, sure, a lot of walls in this in this construction of the um, of the circuit layout, right? Which I think is the yes. real problem. Like, you think it's a problem? Yeah, uh, because like even with with the straights, probably. Not so much because there's enough there's enough width on the track that you can get like DRS overtakes executed, uh, but that also isn't the most exciting form of overtaking. I, I would argue. Um, yeah. And so when you look at like when things are coming down to a corner in this track, I didn't see a whole lot in that track construction that indicated like ah, I can't wait to see like guys going wheel to wheel through this complex. There are no real corner complexes on this track. It is kind of a like the most point and squirt track I've ever seen, uh, and then those places where it like you do have those turns, usually pretty boxed in uh, by by walls and tire barriers. And so I think that's my that's my real concern is it might be one of those races where um, it really is just about getting within staying within DRS range. Uh, but as we've seen, so many teams are good at staying just at like at pacing the other teams and sort of just staying outside. DRS range uh, that I don't know. I, I don't have a great sense for where the exciting racing action is going to take place on that track. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt worried uh, a little when I watched the video. I'm not sure how much of the, the building layouts and, and the sides of the tracks are finalized off of, you know, specs or, or if that's just something that's whoever was modding it, the tools they had. But it did remind me a lot of Sochi where it was very, very tight on the straights. Um, and then it sort of opened out into these, um, you know, generous runoff areas outside of the um, the track once you, you got onto the some of those braking zones. So I'm not really sure. Like, I felt the same way about Baku where I didn't really, understand where the interesting racing was going to be in those first two sectors but uh because it was all these crazy boxy you know so yeah i i, I really don't know I'm, I'm interested to see the first cars run around it because i i have no idea if it's an interesting uh track and i think once if the drivers like it i think that really helps a lot um but uh yeah i'd be i'm interested to see what they think of it especially off this uh this initial concept video yeah, I mean, we're we're gonna see next year. I don't know if they've slotted in where it's going in the in the schedule, um, but they are building it right now. 
uh, 12 kilometers west of the center of Hanoi, according to racefans.net. Uh, they broke ground last month. So, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully it'll be done by then. It's weird. It feels like Tilka's... Like, it feels like we're in a different phase of the Tilka oeuvre, right? Like, uh, <laughs> he used to have these really... <laughs> Um, like like these really intricate courses that sort of turned in on themselves and had lots of like tight corner complexes to uh, both often like fit within a footprint footprint, but also push the action back toward the the main grandstands and and, and fan positions and perspectives. Uh, and now, like, it increasingly seems like the dude has not met a straight long enough. He's just like you know. That's this is this is a good track, but I, you know I think it really needs is another couple of like one and a half kilometer straights. Uh, let's say three. Yeah, on on when you look at the the like the top down of this, like the actual just like the map of it, it looks absurd. It looks like the type of track that somebody <laughs> makes in like you know a video game for fun. And just, let's track see what mania, this is yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe he just misses. Maybe he just misses Malaysia. Maybe that's the thing, right? Is he's like, we, oh, my beautiful. We all miss my, Malaysia. My, yeah, apparently Malaysia misses uh, Malaysia. There was a there was an article I, I saw this week. Who knows if there's anything to it? But apparently, like the uh, Malaysian prime minister was talking about, like, would like to get F1 back into Malaysia, right. and I'm like, hell yes, I would like to see that as well because uh, I, with time, I've come to appreciate that track and miss its absence. Well, hopefully it's another classic in the making. Uh, speaking of classics, Jalopnik put together an article, uh, which I really enjoyed reading, about what the heck is rich energy. I think the article, it, yeah, the article is called "When You What You Find When You Look Into Rich Energy, the Mystery Sponsor of America's <laughs> F1 Team. I, I think if we thought Mission Winnow was weird... Yeah. Uh, this one, I think, is giving it a, a run for its money. <laughs> this is just, uh, my, my, uh, I don't know, my, my deepest fears about all the dark money in F1 uh, have, have just come. Like, if anyone had any conspiracy theories about F1, this article <laughs> just confirmed a lot of them. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really something else. It's so pervasively weird is the thing it's not just like it is not just one mystery where like this begins with nobody has seen a rich energy can in the wild basically like, right. like that, that's where the story begins is everyone sort of assumes that oh there's i'm sure there's lots of different uh energy energy drink brands uh there's a lot of regional ones that pop up so when a new one appears invest in the team i think we all tend to assume like yeah i just haven't seen it in the stores because it's probably a local thing uh but apparently it's so local that nobody can find a rich energy anywhere. It is a drink without a store presence. And so they send, yeah, they send, this is a great article from uh, Jalopnik's Alanis King and Elizabeth Blackstock. Um, and so they had people going looking for any rich energies and they couldn't find any at all. It, it appears like it may not have, it, like, there's no any, like, proof that the drink itself is real but then if you look be like who is behind it there's a further question of who's actually running rich energy where is their money from and what's this really about uh because some of the people tied up with rich energy have these really sketchy pasts and 
as for where their money is from, that is also kind of a black box. Can I can I read one line from this just to prime everyone for, for please? Uh, America's F1 team might just be partnered with a company without the means to sponsor it, fueled by a flipped Zimbabwean tobacco farm and investments from a soft corporate billionaire. <laughs> that is uh, such a great lead. I just loved the concept that perhaps the success and the the optics of Red Bull was something that somebody wanted to. Uh, duplicate without all the busy work of actually having to make an energy drink. <laughs> like we'll just we'll just you know pay a company for the 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 the, the concept of it and the the graphic and all that sort of stuff. But it, it's just like I I don't know. I can't make heads or tails of it. I came away from this with sort of more questions than answers. Um, and and just a deep hatred for rich people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, there's nothing like. Uh, you know, there's no smoking gun here, but it all just seems so strange, and it's got a real fire festival kind of a feel to it. <laughs> um, I, I think they they Jalopnik contacted uh William Story, who's the CEO of Rich Energy, uh, and is like, "Hey, where are your drinks?" And he said, "Oh, yeah, you can't find them because we just give them directly to nightclubs." <laughs> So we're so cut out we the middleman, you know, which is yeah. faintly credible, right? Like this is how right, like, mm. like Red Bull. Also, one of the ways it got where it did is that it would literally establish relationships almost like club by club. This is part of the energy drink business: is you have to have field teams actually like making sure your product is in clubs. Uh, I don't know if it's still like that as much today because it's such a bigger sector than it used to be, right? Like, I'm sure back in the day, it, there was a lot of value in this. But I'm not sure, like, you can literally, like, throw together a slick-looking can and be like, well, where I need to... I think they specified strip clubs uh, in some places. Too. Like, we're in nightclubs and strip oh, clubs. Yeah. Uh, and I am not sure that that's, like... It's sort of believable, but I'm not sure it's believable in terms of... We're building this huge brand with millions of of dollars behind it, and you can't find our cans because we're like basically stocking them one by one in in trendy clubs. I just I don't know that I buy it. Um, Come on, Rob, you you know what it's like when you're in a strip club and you're just falling asleep and you just need that burst of energy. You just I just I want to stay for one more dance. But God damn it, I'm just so tuckered out. The other part of this is um, one of the other people behind this is this guy, David Sullivan, uh, who is one of these billionaires who's actual, like, again, their assets, their holdings, what, what is the driver of their wealth. Also, again, seems a little bit sketchy, or at least certainly the origins of it. Uh, so this is the soft core billionaire, soft core porn billionaire uh, that is associated with with rich energy who also uh, may have made some money from like it looks like prostitution or something or was that just the way that they yeah got, he was convicted him? in 1982 of living off quote immoral earnings that is funds acquired through prostitution and spent 71 days in prison that's from the jalopnik article and it also says he and his partner david gold who created the pornography empire together uh co-owned the west ham united football club oh right they owned west ham 
Yeah, so I was I wanted to read more into that. To, to, I wonder if that was just a way of getting at somebody who was working in the sex trade, or whether he was actually involved in prostitution slash human trafficking in any way. I imagine you get more than seventy one days in prison if they've caught you doing that. Maybe, but it depends on how many cut out. Like the rules are different for extremely rich people, right? And the right. sort of the legal shields you you put up for yourself. And he is extremely rich. There's one picture of him uh, with a uh, uh, William Story, which is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. William Story kind of looks like he stepped out of a like a maybe like a like an like a you know a fifty year old amateur metal band. Uh, and and <laughs> he's the fourth member of ZZ Top. Yeah, basically. And there's a picture with him. Uh, and Sullivan in Sullivan's house and in the background there's this fucking mannequin <laughs> it's like I don't mind if it is like like I don't know his accountant or something but it's that's, that's got a, a that, that's a mannequin sh- that no that's that a is, real dude that is not what's he doing with his hands who's I don't who? know <laughs> like it's weird there's there's little digital grain on the photo so it's tough to say like but it, it definitely that like that person it looks like a waxworks it definitely does. It's a weird. It, it's a weird thing, but the other part is the question you have to ask about something like this is: What is the actual business model here? What is actually happening? Right. Because, and this is this is sort of what this story is is trying to get into: is what is actually funding uh, Team Haas, and how secure is that funding? Um, because the thing is, so if you can't prove that Rich Energy, Energy is an actual brand uh, that is producing energy drinks and actually has any sort of like market presence or return, then basically what you have is a company that is being used to move funds around. And then the question is why, right? Like why – like. Clearly, there is money because probably Haas would not continue oper- like would not be able to operate if its prime sponsor is not able to send checks that clear. But the question is like, where are those checks coming from, and why are they being sent in the first place? Like, what what is the what is the play here? Um, and so it begins like the the thing that sort of lurks under all this through, throughout this piece is that is there something much shadier in terms of uh, you know moving capital around the world uh, in ways that are hard to verify or track uh, because nothing about this seems to seems to add up there's this there's this great moment where um there so there are records of, there are records of rich energy operating in the Balkans uh, but when you find the place where their Croatian trademark was filed it appears to be a duplex <laughs> like just somebody's house um, yeah, like a like a like a getaway. Well, actually, no, not a getaway. Like a like like a safe house. Where the, kind of looks like <laughs> it does look a little defensible, like that. You're right. Yeah, yeah. super weird. Uh, I recommend everyone go and read this. I will link it in the show notes, of course. A uh, really good article. Um, yeah, and just uh, it doesn't answer any questions. It just <laughs> asks way more. Yeah, it reminds uh, me of like uh, of something like Wipeout, where you know they had to come up with all of these different manufacturers and sponsors for that game to make that world believable. <laughs> like Rich Energy is, and Mission Winnow are just those. They don't seem to be <laughs> tangibly. I mean, Mission Winnow is clearly just Marlboro with a different face on it, but like there's you know other ones are 
this one just seems like I don't know the most expensive advertising deal for a product ever for a product yeah. that is not accessible anywhere except apparently strip clubs that show F1 races. Yeah, yeah. This is the. I think this points to a broader concern about F1. The entire funding model for years has been, uh, in addition to the revenues shared at the end of the season. This entire thing is run on advertising. And if you're a longtime motorsports fan, in the past, racing ran on cigarettes. That's, yeah. that's what paid for motorsports motor just about anywhere in the world. Um, and then that business model fell apart as cigarette advertising became increasingly disreputable and then just flat out illegal. And now F1 has this problem where you've got a lot of tobacco companies trying to sort of back their way back into the sport. Uh, by like in in the, like in the mission winnow model, it's basically three kids in a trench coat with a fake mustache, uh, <laughs> and then you have rich energy, which is if this is real, it is the most like it is the mo- lossiest loss leading marketing campaign you can possibly imagine. <laughs> and so, does F one have a problem where for whatever reason the sport is not getting like premium sponsors? that are household names or that can be advertised every like anywhere in the world right it's it's not getting people in those in those positions uh, like when you when you get right down to it i feel like so many of these teams are actually just running on sugar daddies like be it maybe this situation or you know what we saw with vj and forcidia what we've seen with alexander albon's dad like there's there's all of these um like back oh sorry Lando Norris's there's all these like there's there are certain the smaller teams at least are operating almost out of just you know a desire for somebody to own a team or to have a stake in F1 and not necessarily any sort of tangible benefit to it which has always been one of the issues when you're not talking about one of those big teams yeah I mean it's something that they're trying to curb I guess with the the budget caps coming in 20 or starting I guess in 2021 so I don't know hopefully hopefully we'll see uh, I just want to know more about this thing. Um, oh, and uh, I don't want the rug to be pulled out from Haas. That would be a shame. Speaking of sponsors, though, did you see that Williams is now sponsored by the Financial yeah. Times? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. Which is fitting because all their pace is behind a paywall. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. Moving yeah. on. It's a respectable <laughs> sponsor, at least. But nothing, <laughs> yes. nothing says racing and excitement like the Financial Times. <laughs> uh, F1 2019, the video game, has a launch date. Uh, Friday, June 28th, 2019. That's really early. Yeah, a fall two months earlier into the F1 season uh, than the last game, uh, apparently, according to their website, which is... that's. Yeah, that's all the fast turnaround. Although also on the website it says having been in development for nearly two years. So I yeah. wonder if they have some kind of offset team working on it. And I think Formula Two cars are coming in this game. Do you know about that, Danny? I, I didn't. I I read the press release when it happened, which was like a good ten days ago now. I think maybe. So I can't remember exactly. Um, okay. What I will say is I think this also goes in line with what a lot of people are suggesting is going on next month, which is that the PlayStation development kits are going to start going out. So, you know, they have a team. I, I always thought it was one team that worked on these um, every year, but uh, presumably they will all be getting to grips with the new hardware for the next game as quickly as possible. And perhaps getting this out the door will, uh, will allow them to do that earlier. 
it would be smart if they had moved to a two-team model to handle the uh, generation transition. Because right. if like if you followed the F1 series in the changeover from the PS3 into the uh, PS4 and Xbox One generation, uh, they had like basically I think it was like at least two editions, maybe three, that felt like weird stop gaps. Uh, where like they kept adding features, adding features, and then like I think the last edition to go out on the old consoles was really like kind of stripped down to just the bare essentials, and then the first one, the new consoles, was also really bare because it yeah. was a new engine, and they'd clearly been coming out to grips with that. And it wasn't really until like honestly, like the 2018 edition was probably the first one that I felt had fully returned to everything that was. Uh, sort of what the series was at its prime on the old generation. So I would assume they also don't want to have to put out, like, it's tough to go to people and be and say, hey, it's a new engine, but it's also much less game than you got last time. Have fun with that. Uh, the F2 cars are in it. Uh, well, I mean, the F2 car is in it, but presumably all deliveries as well. Um, uh, and apparently you can customize cars as well, but it looks as well like that might just be uh, liveries and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, like, like you we'll were saying. We'll see soon. Yeah, I guess you know it'll be interesting to see how much of an evolution it is on the last year's game, or whether or not they're they're focusing more on that, but uh, on on the next the next generation. Um, yeah, I guess we'll find out pretty soon, sooner than usual. Uh, speaking of shocking twists and turns of events, uh, Scuderia Ferrari posted a Twitter update with one Sebastian Vettel sans mustache. Thank God. What Was it a bad luck charm? As the only person with no facial hair here, thank God. Also, oh, that was a mustache of sadness. Oh, I loved it. What do you? Oh, I loved it. Really? Why Did, don't you yeah. do it? Next, next I, patron goal. I'm not. <laughs> nothing. Has, right. Nothing is the stash. I mean, yes, the stash definitely had an element of um, like. You know, I look at Nigel brush. Mansell flashbacks, man. Oh yeah. Yeah, but also, I don't think he was wearing that mustache before things really started to go to hell for him behind the wheel. And so, like, when I picture Seb with that mustache, it's usually him with that thousand-yard stare trying to explain, like, yeah, you know, I think we were going in, and we just touched wheels and lost the car, and that was it. There's a really good uh, comment to this Twitter post. So it's a picture of uh, Leclerc, Vettel, and uh, in between them is um, Mattia Bonotto. And the, the first comment is, why does this look like a college freshman, Charles, being dropped off by his dad, Seb, and both of them are meeting the first-year engineering professor? <laughs> it's exactly what it looks yeah, like. It I'll does. post that, too. Uh, other fun links around the internet. Super, for- Super Formula Thank is you. on YouTube, guys. Yeah. Whole season this year, right? Yes, apparently. Uh, it will be posted on YouTube by Let's Go Racing, which is a new YouTube channel. Um, and it is it will have English commentary done by uh, Sam Collins, who you may know if you've watched any Super GT. He's kind of been all over the Nismo TV uh, YouTube channel. He does really good uh, racing commentary um, and seems to specialize in Japanese racing series, which is kind cool. of fun. He's also apparently a liberal Democrat parliamentary candidate in Hertfordshire. Nice. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Rough time for the Lib Dems, but all right. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but uh, that's what's on his website. So there's that. Um, I, I watched a little bit of the start of this most recent race. I think happened last weekend or two weekends ago. Uh, and the race is already up online. Um, Super Formula has pushed a pass 
which is I didn't know that. I don't know if that's a new thing, but uh, you can see it. It's kind of like Formula E where it's on their roll hoop. You can see when they're using it. Um, and they, uh, I think Collins does a good job of comparing everything to um, Formula One as well for people who are going to be new to watching this series. Uh, he was talking about like if you compared these two cars or you compared F1 cars to Super Formula cars, they're about where the midfield was in 2014 uh, when F1 got the new hybrid engines. So hmm. um, yeah, if you're looking for another series, uh, it's kind of cool. There's some names in there you'll recognize uh, if you are, um, I guess, <laughs> a really deep uh, racing nerd. Um, most of them are Japanese, but there are a few uh, foreigners in there as well. So uh, yeah, we'll link to that. Let's go racing uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, speaking of other serieses, um, Danny, you have a uh, a news article here from WSeries.com. Yeah, it was uh, it was great to see this. I guess the rubber really hitting the road. No pun intended on um, on W series. You intended that. Where I actually literally didn't. I've just I've got motor on the mind right now um, about how we are going to be able to uh, watch to consume the upcoming uh, W series, which of course is the. Uh, are we? Are we, oh, well, actually, whether we are or not is is still um, uh, unknown. But people in the UK for sure will be able to uh, watch it on Channel 4. Um, reading from an article here on W Series, W Series has signed a deal with Channel 4, one of the UK's leading terrestrial free-to-air broadcasters, to show high-definition live coverage of each of the six races in the W Series calendar. So Channel 4 is a basic cable, I guess we'd say over here, uh, TV channel. You can get it on an aerial. Actually, I'm not even sure if you can anymore, but it's free for anyone to watch um, in the UK. It's it's like a standard, like BBC. Um so it's really cool to see it on there. It's also really cool to see it um, being broadcast live, which um, is, uh, is is something that some of the other non-BBC channels have struggled with over the years. Um, so I think when it comes to motorsport anyway. So I think that's really cool. But uh, I was reading another article um, a couple of days ago where they were talking about there are apparently multiple other deals in terms of other territories that are uh, still to be finalized at the moment, including, it sounds like, the US one. Um, some of them won't be live. Some of them won't be free to air. Some might include be included in some sort of subscription package. Um, uh, it doesn't sound like they will be doing their own one, but it sounds like perhaps there might be a partner in some part of the world that has um, exclusive rights to it. So it's great mm. to see... Uh, the, the uk sports fans at least will be able to watch it on tv um and uh yeah fingers crossed that we'll be we'll be getting access to that uh, uh over here on you know some sort of easy method because i think the 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 more eyes you can the less barriers you can sort of put up to people watching this especially in light of what we just talked about with super formula and obviously um uh formula 2 is now way more accessible than it was before as well formula e the, all the races are on youtube and um, so fingers crossed we'll see something similar for the w series um First race is in is it May fourth Hockenheim ring at Hockenheim yeah, yeah. so uh, not this Saturday but next Saturday wow so, coming yeah. up so yeah Gosh. I hope they figure it out for us <laughs> soon yeah I mean even I would be totally fine with there being you know watching it on demand as uh, you know personally especially if most of the races are going to happen not in North America um, uh, I think that would work for us um, but certainly I think having a live in the UK is really cool. All right. Well, speaking of upcoming races, should we take it to Baku? Baku. We're coming back, gentlemen. Uh, 
you may remember this, Frog. Any uh, hands on fingers on buzzers? When was the first uh, uh, Baku Grand Prix? When was actually? Let me rephrase that. When was the first Azerbaijan Grand Prix? Uh, the first Azerbaijan Grand Prix, I think, was 2017. Oh, Drew, you're too slick for me. Uh, but the first race, I think, was 2016 in Baku. You're right. Of course, it was the uh, famous European Grand Prix, the return of the European Grand Prix in Azerbaijan, a country not in Europe by any known, I don't know, <laughs> way of measuring what's in Europe that I've ever known. Hey, certainly, maybe they're using the Eurovision standards. I mean, Israel is technically in Europe when it comes to the Eurovision, so I guess why not have Azerbaijan in there? Um, yeah, the 2016 one, um, uh, the, the the European Grand Prix had returned, of course, and we've had it on the calendar ever since. This is a street circuit, is a pure street circuit, uh, the third on the calendar, Monaco and Singapore being the other two. There are other circuits uh, that have street parts on them, like, for instance, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Uh, but this is uh, one of three that is completely uh, uh, on uh, streets that you and I can drive right now if we want to do. It's also pretty long. It's the second longest circuit on the calendar. It's six kilometers, uh, 3.7 miles if you speak in North American. Um, DRS zones, we have two of them. There's the start-finish straight, which is the easily the, the straightest part of track um on the circuit uh, and then also between turns two and three there is a DRS zone um a little bit tougher that one to to uh, take advantage of um it's a track that the drivers really love it's also a track that the rookies we have coming in this year also really love uh leclerc uh famously won here a couple of days after his father passed away lance stroll also won here uh, antonio giovanazzi had a gp2 double win as well i think it was 2017 um so uh we have a situation where three of the Wookiees have more wins on this track than most of the other uh, uh, drivers who have been in F1 for much, much longer. Um, when it comes to the circuit itself, it's relatively, um, uh, you know, it doesn't have too much in terms of hills for the first two sections. Um, the first, it's almost the kind of like two track, two separate tracks. The first section has all these boxy little sort of right uh, or um, left-hand 90-degree turns. Uh, and then it gets into, once you get past the castle section, which is between turns 7 and 12. This By the way, of, there's a castle. It is a, they go under a castle. They twist around the edge of it. Um, it's a, sort of a, an ups, uphill kind of little corkscrew uh, set of turns. Uh, the drivers find it very interesting. Uh, once you're up and out of that, you're into a much more sort of dynamic part of the track uh, where the drivers are, are flat out with some interesting braking zones, uh, turns that there are some uh, braking zones where you're going uphill, downhill. There's uh, one where you actually end up doing both within the same braking zone, which requires them to, to be uh, quite smart on the brakes for that. Um, the uh, And then once you're out of that, the sort of end of um, the Sector 3 is, is a for all intents and purposes an f1 car is flat out from turn 16 until they they uh, start a new lap um there's a couple of extra little lefts and right handers in it but they're they're going as fast as they can uh, most of the interesting overtakes or in the case of red bull last year crashes happen on the uh, sort of end of that long straight and the end of that drs zone um but uh it's been a surprising track for overtakes people tend to really throw their cars up the inside of these nasty turns. Um, the drivers like it because they're basically hugging the wall as much as possible on their qualifying laps. Um, there's a, a fun little um, 
a track walk they did uh, uh, with uh, Alexander Albon um, on the F1 uh, YouTube channel where he talked about being able to hear the engine sound on one of the uh, turns because they're so close to the wall there as they're uh, making their way up through the, the mid-gears. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a, a very tight track, but unlike Monaco, it tends to get quite a lot of different spots for overtaking that long start finish straight definitely helps um but uh yeah i guess drivers are eager to to be a little bit risky um here and we, we we've not seen the terrifying bad crash yet we always have safety cars here basically we've not seen a red flag there was one i want to say it was gp2 maybe last year might have been the year before where somebody crashed around the castle and they had to red flag it because it just like if you crash like everyone it, stopped yeah it yeah. stopped it stopped the the cars completely actually i think that might be how the race finished which makes sense oh, for really? gp2 um so we've not had that yet but we have had other incidents like vettel just for seemingly i guess he got brake tested by hamilton and then decided to just kind of ram into lewis as you do with uh, wheels that are barely tied onto the cars um and uh yeah we've had we've had other crashes we've uh we've had roman grosjean uh crashing under um uh i guess safety car for the did he has he crashed in a safety car twice or did he crash at a formation lap once i forget years ago he crashed in another i'm heating the tires but have accidentally ran into a wall situation i think in his rookie season i can't remember mm. if it was a i think it was another safety car i can't remember um but we had him do that as well uh it's a it's a fun track. It always seems to turn up some uh, interesting interesting uh, incidents. So you know, curse of the commentator. Hopefully, we'll we'll have a a good one this week too. Yeah, there's been three races in Baku with three different pole positions: Rosberg, Hamilton, and Vettel, and three different winners in Rosberg, Ricardo, Ricardo. and Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Ricardo uh, did better that year than he did last year. Uh, yeah, and probably uh, probably this year. Um, Hamilton could do it again, though, and Vettel is actually the only driver on the grid who has started every Baku race in fourth or higher. Right. Uh, Botas has started in the top three twice oh. and only lost last year because he punctured his tire yeah. from the Lightner. lead. Uh, as you said, uh, Leclerc won here in Formula 2. Uh, Verstappen hasn't, but he and uh, the uh, other Honda engines, are they're all new. For this race, Honda brought an upgrade. Um, let's see. I have a quote here about that. It is apparently, um, yeah, one of the reasons for bringing it to this race is that we, the Honda uh, people, found that Kvyat's power unit problem in China was down to a quality control issue. The main benefits of this Spec 2 engine are improved durability and life and better reliability. It also offers a slight improvement in performance. Uh, Ferrari is good at straights and has improved their cornering in china with a floor update so uh maybe look for for that to Im improve some of their lap times uh perez has also gotten two podiums here and his teammate lance stroll has gotten one um and then this article from formula1.com says other teams should be encouraged too however of the 58 races held from the time of the 2016 european grand prix in baku to this one, only three times has the podium featured a non-Ferrari, Red Bull, or Mercedes runner, and they were all in Baku. Okay. Hulkenberg, uh, uncharacteristically, uh, has crashed from fifth in the last two Baku races. Um, Giovinazzi is unfortunately getting a 10-spot grid place penalty for uh, replacement of control electronics in his car. Um, 
I think this is a time for McLaren to strike. They seem to be like waiting in the wings for their moment. And I think this one could be really big for them. Uh, Haas, however, probably, probably not going to be a Haas race. No. And to understand that there's a really interesting article by uh, Craig Scarborough up on racefans.net talking about Haas's weird season. Uh, so they've had good qualifyings, and they tested well. And so this was kind of earmarked as a season where uh, Haas was going to make some significant moves, perhaps up the order. And instead what's happened is they've underperformed on race days. And I certainly haven't known what to make of that. My assumption was just that probably it was a like the drivers kind of not rising to the moment. Um, but that is probably not what is going on because uh, Scarborough, uh, who does some really great technical write-ups, uh, got some great insight into what in particular is happening over at Haas, and it appears to be all down to tire temperatures. Uh, so the reason that... There, there's a few things. The cars are driving on different tires this year. There are different rules about uh, the way the tires can be constructed, uh, basically, they have to have the same internal structure no matter what compound of rubber they're using. And that means that that took some tools away from Pirelli. Uh, and they had to go with a one-size-fits-all approach. And that was going to inherently introduce some tire temperature issues. But most teams haven't been affected by that because, uh, well, a lot of the teams we look at closely have been affected by that because... One of the places where teams are able to get a lot of heat back into those tires and get them back into sort of the optimal performance band on temperature is on is on fast corners. Uh, so when you've got a car on a really fast corner and they're taking it uh, flat or near flat, uh, the tires are under a tremendous amount of load because you're going so quickly uh, and there, there's so much there's so much uh, force being exerted across the car that the tires gain a lot of temperature during those sectors. The problem comes if your setup, uh, particularly your aero setup, doesn't really let you run flat out that way. Uh, through through those through those fast corners, and that appears to be what the Haas setup is. Haas went with a very stiff, uh, a very stiff setup for their car, and that made it a little less uh, aerodynamically flexible in some ways. And what that has meant is that they're not taking the fast corners as fast as other teams, and their tires are going cold. And apparently, not just a little cold. I mean, they're like. The reason they're succeeding well in qualifying and they did well in testing apparently is because uh, if you come right out of qualifying or you're, you're doing short stints in testing, um, you're basically coming out of the pits roughly in the right tire temperature band thanks to the mm. tire warmers. They've lowered the temperature on tire warmers too, so cars don't start with as much heat in the tires to begin with. Uh, nevertheless, though, you do start with, with, with a decent amount and Haas is able to turn a very good lap under those sort of ideal circumstances. Right. The problem is that as a stint goes on, lap after lap, they are not able to return temperature to the tires. And the tires just keep getting colder and colder and colder. And the sort of trap that Scarborough lays out here uh, is that 
Once the heat is lost, there is little you can do to recover the situation, he writes. The driver could push harder to put more heat into them, but this is a vicious circle. You can't go fast from the lack of temperature, and the lack of temperature means you can't go fast. Mm. Uh, and what he's basically saying here is, you know, if these drivers push, they might throw the car away uh, because the tires are so cold. And so if they, if they can't push, the tires are just going to get colder and they can push even less. And this is apparently what is happening in these uh, Haas race stints. And the reason Baku seems like it is going to be uniquely challenging for them is there's a lot of long straights here where no real heat gets into the tires at all. And then that entire, like, uh, that entire second sector after the, after the castle section, yeah. uh, that's all fast corners where the Haas underperforms, and then you're back on a straight. And so this is kind of a nightmare course layout uh, for, for the Haas. Um, they're apparently really looking forward to a return to circuits like Barcelona because they have performed better on those. They're a little more friendly to the Haas. Uh, but yeah, this is the dilemma afflicting Haas, and they apparently they do not have a lot of good ways to fix this. Uh, so, like Haas is in a world of hurt for at least the first half of the season until they can maybe do some more development on the car. Uh, but it was a really interesting article uh, about the way a problem that didn't even occur to me has huh. basically sabotaged uh, Haas's season. That's a fascinating um, comparison with Barcelona because it is almost like their first and second sectors have swapped, or first and third, where Barcelona is, is all fast corners at the start, but at least there's that little arena section at the end before you hit the start-finish straight. But yeah, I guess by the time they're all out of that that uh, high-speed section at the end of Baku, then they're onto this massive start-finish straight, so they're just going to get gobbled up. Well, speaking of tires, uh, Pirelli marks... The Baku circuit as a three out of five for tire stress. So I think that kind of lines up with, uh, yeah, not, not getting a lot of heat into those tires. Um, we've got for the hard, medium, and soft, the C2, C3, and C4 compounds. Uh, and a lot of variation, honestly, in what drivers are taking to the race. We kind of saw um, tire selection strategy pop up uh, in the last race. And Ferrari, I think, has tried to cover all their bases uh, they're taking both drivers are taking five sets of mediums and uh, what is that nine uh, no uh, seven sets of softs so really kind of balancing it out whereas everybody else is like uh, maximum of three mediums oh no Mercedes is taking four uh, but Ricardo oddly taken two hards one medium tire and 10 soft tires so Ooh. apparently Red Bull or uh, well boy <laughs> Renault uh, betting hard uh, on the softies. Crowder's hard for softs. <laughs> Weather-wise, uh, looks to be pretty nice uh, around race time in the, well, or a little cool, depending on your perspective, I suppose. Low 60s in Fahrenheit uh, or around 16, 17 in Celsius on qualifying day. Slightly warmer on race day up to about 63 or 18 uh humidity is in the uh, high 60s but wind here uh looks to be like it might um potentially cause some uh some headaches what is 26 going on kilometers an hour uh 16 miles per hour yeah and it's i think it will affect these cars a whole lot more because they're just huge uh those rear wings front wings they're all these giant you know wind catchers essentially um 
that's for uh, yeah race day and qualifying look pretty pretty similar uh, a little bit cloudy on sunday as well but like, i could see a city circuit really kind of corralling the wind and whipping it through those uh those buildings so i wonder does it bring uh, up the look out for that I wonder if it brings up the issue Rob talked about as well um, two podcasts ago with the wings again because this is going to be a, a street circuit with you know uh, you know it's not, it's not cobblestones but presumably there's uh, there's a bit more you know jagged edges and and maybe some some nasty curbs that are, you know because it's temporary surfaces right so or temporary curves so maybe maybe we'll see the, uh, the that issue with the uh, low front wings um, popping up again this race you never know a cool bite you. Mm. Uh, standings, we got drivers here. Hamilton on top with 68 points, just ahead of Botas with 62. Verstappen's in third with 39 points, followed by Vettel with 37, and Leclerc with 36. Uh, a little further back in sixth place is Gasly with 13. Raikkonen's got 12. Uh, Magnussen and Norris are tied for eighth place with eight points. Ricardo and Hulkenberg, teammates with six. Uh, Perez has five. Albon has three. Stroll has two. Kafiat has one, which leaves Grosjean, Sainz, Giovinazzi, Russell, and Bobby Kay with zero points. As far as teams go, uh, Mercedes is on top with 130 a commanding lead over Ferrari's 73 points. Red Bull in third with 52. Uh, then we get a tie for fourth place with Alfa Romeo and Renault with 12 points. Haas and McLaren uh, have eight points each. Uh, racing point, f- just racing point, uh, <laughs> has seven points. Toro Rosso uh, is in ninth with four, uh, and Williams has zero. I have a feeling Toro Rosso is going to jump up here uh, pretty soon. Uh, in fantasy, I am keeping oh my team the same. I've got oh Leclerc, Perez, Verstappen, Botas, and Raikkonen with the turbo button. Uh, although, you know what? I may actually just swap out Haas right now. What else we got? Uh, okay, here we go. Yep, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put. Ooh, I'm gonna put racing point in here. Yep, I might, I might keep my same setup from the last one. I'm feeling good. Yeah. Leclerc Stroll, Raikkonen with, with the boost, uh, Botas, Norris, and Ferrari. Okay. You don't sound yeah. that satisfied. <laughs> I'm convinced. I mean, you know, you know who you shouldn't put Ferrari. on it? You know you shouldn't put on it? Daniel Kvyat. He has never finished the Baku Grand Prix. <laughs> uh, I, 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 there's something really... Uh, I would be scared if I were Kvyat listening to that sentence because... There's another driver that uh, you used to give us those stats about. Yep. Uh, speaking of fun words, let's take it to the emails. You can email us at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. What do you got for us this week, Danny? Fun words at f1.com. No, don't email that. Uh, we have a, a, we've got one uh, question and three pieces of advice, actually. Uh, the first two okay. come in from folks. Uh, we talked about the U.S. Grand Prix seating and our experience at Circuit of the Americas last time around. Um, and we have uh, two folks who have been to the race with some tips uh, themselves for anyone who's looking uh, to maybe attend COTA this year. Uh, first one comes in from Matt in New Jersey. He says, regarding last week's email about where to sit at the USGP, I can offer some hopefully helpful 
wonderful insight. I've had both general admission tickets and seats in the main grandstand right at the finish line, and if I had to choose between them, I would actually pick GA. In addition to it just costing a lot less, if you pick the right spot, you can actually see a lot of the action. Uh, While we walked around the entire facility, our two favorite spots were under the tower near turns 17 and 18, as well as right next to the S's, i.e. near the bridge uh, right at turns 3 and 4. And uh, with most of our time during quali and race day spent at the latter spot. From here, uh, meaning the S's, you can see parts of the hill and turns 1 and 2. The S's themselves, which is between 3 and 6, as well as the exit of the infield section, turns 16 and 18. We had a similar experience, Drew. I remember we could kind of see up to the S's a little bit. Yeah, so I Uh, looked and uh, we were at turn 15. Right, okay. So close to where he's kind of talking about seeing a little bit too. Uh, There was also a screen there uh, to keep track of things. A lot of food and uh, bathroom facilities were either right beside us or not too far a walk away, including a covered bar area that came through in the clutch when it rained during Friday practice. My only real recommendation would be to bring some sort of folding chair or something to sit on for race day, as it can get muddy if rain falls uh, during the race weekend. Uh, hope that helps thank you so much for that Matt and we also got yeah. one in from uh, Keaton uh, Keaton Brandstetter uh, who said I've been to Austin twice first time we had amazing seats on the front stretch uh, we had way more fun watching from other spots on the track though uh, went to 2018 and just bought general admission as a Kimi fan I was watching from Haas Hill uh, Haas Hill is uh, the penultimate corner um, you know the one with the the left-hander where there's the the left-hander before the pit straight, before you enter the pits. Um, okay. Uh, that's where all the sort of Haas fans tend to go. Um, uh, as a Kimi fan, I was watching from Haas Hill and there was a TV. Plus, I was first at the gate and ran to be against the pit wall and see Kimi get his final Ferrari win. It was worth it to be surrounded by other fanatics. So that's another part of it, GA, I guess, is that you can, you know, do that. You can run to specific parts of the track uh, um, after the race as well if you, you want to enjoy that. Um, so yeah, thanks to uh, Matt and Keaton for those uh, insights. Uh, next one up is from Aaron Hart in New York. Uh, this is about Formula W actually, which we were talking about, or W Series rather, which we were just talking about. Uh, love the pod and would love to hear your thoughts on the Formula W Series backed by F1 legend David Coulthard. I'm a lifelong F1 fanatic and motorsport fan. Thanks, Dad. Having spent many uh, a father-daughter birthday in racing clinics and attending races, I fully admit to entertaining long and colorful daydreams of being a female F1 champion. As an American female gamer over 35, I occupy a rather desolate niche of fandom. Um, my husband is my only salvation in that sense, so I thank you for the pod and can't wait to hear more. Looking forward to your thoughts. By way of background, I'm a biologist by training and trade, so my thoughts on women in F1 stem from a place of pondering the psychological realities, potential advantages and limitations of women competing with men in a sport as physically punishing as F1. Exciting and complex topics, in my opinion, and one I'd love your thoughts on. Uh, so yeah, how are we feeling? I guess coming up on you know on on this series finally starting within a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, what have your have our th- we we talked about this? I remember maybe about a month ago. Um, have have your sort of thoughts crystallized at all on on how you feel about it? Uh, I you know it's something that um, I certainly see both sides on. I think there's there's one side of it that says like. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to have, uh, an all female racing series because there's not a lot of representation in the, um, the regular racing world. 
Um, but also uh, the other side of it is why why segregate women to a separate series when very clearly they can and are racing with men. Uh, so I totally see both sides of that. I think where I do get behind W Series is that it benefits from um, exposure and the focus of attention. So that if you can draw eyeballs to something, that's where things like sponsorships can come from. Uh, and you can use this as uh, a launch pad for these women who, um, you know, historically have not had support uh, monetarily and, and, you know, in society as well. So uh, I, I would love to see a future in when W, w Series is not needed, uh, but I think it is uh, an interesting concept to, to try, and I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I'm mostly nervous about the um, quality of the product to start out. Like, yeah. any anytime we're launching a new thing like this, I mean, like, literally basic things like how are you going to shoot and broadcast the races is going to be like, I am just nervous that this will feel like an off-brand, uh, less competent, like, media product overall, and it will sort of flop on those grounds uh, almost regardless of because if it's not if it's not a compelling show uh, then i then you're really putting a lot of pressure on the racing to be good not just the individual drivers being good but the actual racing to be competitive and exciting um, and hopefully like hopefully we get that uh, but yeah i have I, I have most of my misgivings are just centered on the idea of this being such a new thing it is easy for things th these things to get off to a rocky start and i think for initiatives like this there is more pressure for them to immediately prove their viability out of the gate than uh there is for other for for other uh you know development series uh because this one is so high profile and has such a specific mission uh the if they pull it off, the other thing then is there really needs to be a pipeline from this into uh, higher level development leagues or directly into uh, like major racing seats in uh, you know in in the higher tier motorsports. Uh, because if this just turns into a situation where uh, like good female drivers are spending most of their careers, but they mysteriously never get an opportunity to move to a series like like Indy, like F1, uh, like higher levels of uh, endurance racing, then I think we have replicated a very familiar problem. Yeah, I, I, I echo um, Rob's uh, fears about the quality of the product because y you do feel like, in a sense, they will they will probably get less of a of a um, an opportunity to prove themselves or less of a window because of the sort of critical eye that will be cast on this um either the people who are well-meaning or otherwise i'm mean, thinking back about the start of the start of formula e you know like formula e was very very patchwork when they started off but at least they got sort of the broadcast right and even if their first race was kind of boring it did have you know two of the uh, children of some of the biggest or relatives of some of the biggest drivers in the world crashing on the final lap so they kind of got um they they got out of jail there um 
I, I think, like, all things being equal, it wouldn't be needed. I think uh, the reason it... Uh, the more I think about it, the more I think that W Series is kind of like a protest movement in that one of its greatest, I guess, strengths is that it does... Its, ex- its mere existence shines a sort of a black light on every other racing series. It's forcing us to sort of think about the fact that there are no women in F1 or a lot of other, you know, or like one woman in Formula E or a handful in other disciplines. Um, and it sort of is, co- it'll constantly remind us in a way that if it didn't exist, it it, it wouldn't. Um, I've been, I've been, you know, I'm not a sociologist or a psychologist or anything like that, but I'm, I've been thinking a little bit about how to the fact that F1 has been and motorsport in general has been such a male-dominated sport for such a long time. Um, you wonder about the ways in which it's just it favors men, be it in terms of the culture or in terms of the physicality or in terms of uh, like I don't know the, the the communications that happen. That I wonder, you know, this would be why it would be interesting to talk to. You know, I'm sure we we, we talked about it in the Williams stuff about how uh, women in F1 are sick of being asked about questions about being w- women in F1. But I I. I wonder about the missed opportunities that we have by not including women in the sport in a more meaningful way. And if if W Series can provide a pipeline for that to happen more, and in 20 years or 30 years' time, F1 looks like a different sport but is more interesting because of it, um, then I think it'll have been worth it. But, like, you know, I think all of us would agree that this is maybe not the most ideal way to get women in motorsport, but I think most of us would also agree that, like, where where are all the other fucking answers to this problem coming from? Like, I think the thinking about Formula W in particular does make me think. And and Aaron talking about being a biologist, I think there's a tendency for uh, a lot of fields and industries to look at this. They'll use the term, and this comes up a lot in the sciences: leaky pipelines. Right, uh, where damn, like you know, first is you basically keep trying to plug this idea that there's a leak somewhere in the pipeline that is preventing women from rising to high-profile uh, positions in in a field, and even to just like affect, like seriously impact the gender balance of a field. Right, like why why are a lot of fields still male-dominated despite a lot of diversity initiatives, etc. And I think one of the things that is deeply frustrating is that. Uh, even things like Formula W, I'm not sure I do see them as a protest movement because in a lot of ways, you're still adopting that language of, uh, ah, now we're creating this new structure that will uh, facilitate and develop more more female talent, talent and hopefully like lift them into high-profile uh, positions. And I think the fallacy of a lot of like leaky pipeline uh, framings of this problem is that by turning everything back into this sort of abstracted structural problem, uh, where if we can just improve the pipe and like start, uh, you know, winning more young girls as fans, and then have them pursue racing as a passion, either on the mechanical engineering side or on the driver side, uh, and keep them, you know, in that pipeline, and eventually, if we do a good enough job, they will start uh, flooding into the highest tiers of sport. And the thing that leaves out is the necessity for individual change and radical change. It is this idea that nobody here is a bad actor. You're, you know, when you were talking about uh, it's a really male-dominated uh, feel, like it just culturally, like how many mm-hmm. invisible ways or ways that would be invisible to guys like us 
right. you know, with, with our privilege, how many ways are women sort of gatekept and their opportunities diminished in ways that would be completely invisible to us? I can easily imagine uh, a situation where, without knowing it, there's a lot of well-meaning men in the racing world who are probably still part of the problem. And having a thing like Formula W... Uh, sort of transfers that off of individual responsibility and says, well, if we just solve the structure, if we just if we just treat it like an engineering problem, obviously the results will that we want to achieve will occur without anyone having to make like really tough decisions or confront some really ugly things about the organizations they run. And that's my that's my real skepticism, right? Is that uh, th- these things can be a bridge to nowhere unless you're really willing to just confront the massive imbalances that exist within a field. And that requires upsetting the status quo and calling powerful people out. And I'm not sure that is, that's certainly not in the DNA of most racing series. No, I can't think of less like sports where that would be more of, or less of an issue than F1, um, when it comes to power structure and upsetting the status quo i was even just thinking about like i was i think i remarked a couple of weeks ago i was watching a lot of the um uh, charlie whiting's uh uh meetings with with the drivers um and it reminded me a lot of being i went to an old boys school and it reminded me a lot of the meetings that we would have whether student council meetings or meetings with teachers or whatever the sort of the open nature of the communication that happened there was very like male it was like oh i remember like that that's not what it was like when i worked in you know, when I went to college and I was in class with women the first time or I worked in industries where I was working alongside women. And I just thought, oh, I like, I wonder how many, like, what the social situation must be like to be the only woman in the room in when their the communication styles can often be so different um, um, uh, in, in that way. Uh, and I just thought, yeah, just like you were saying, there's probably so many ways, invisible ways in which the sport is culture and the way in which people communicate and operate that is just so boys schooly that it probably pushes people out or, or uh maybe not even pushes people out but just creates a uh creates a culture um in which uh people who don't follow that status quo sort of don't um become uh or, or don't rise to the their the their best individual level yeah i'm trying to i've been looking up um FIA super license uh, regulations where uh, if you if you race in certain other racing series, the FIA will oh, yeah. assign you points based on how you finish in the championship. If you get enough super license points, as they're known, you uh, are allowed to race in Formula One. Uh, all I can find is information from 2018, so it doesn't look like they've published how many points you would get for racing in the W Series. Uh, for what it's worth, they are apparently using a... Uh, a Tatus F3 race car homologated to the latest FIA Formula 3 specification. So I don't know if, if the FIA would assign uh, Formula 3 points or like there are also for- national Formula 3 leagues. Uh, it's a pretty wide gap. If they treat W Series like Formula E, they're, it's, it's the same as um, Formula E. You would get uh, f- uh, 30 points for finishing first in the the championship uh and that's only 10 less than for finishing first in the formula two championship so that would be that's kind of like the the path that you're talking about rob like if they if they treat this um you know with the same level of uh 
uh, I don't know if respect is the right word, but if they treat this at the same level as Formula like Three, mm. yeah, then um, then we we may very well start seeing the needle move uh, in that direction. I think, but it will be down to the presentation. I think it'll be down to uh, the the how they handle things like sporting regulations there too, to be unfortunately you know uh, held in high regard in the eyes of the FIA. So there's only, there's only six races there, right? Yes. Yeah. Hockenheim, Zolder, uh, Misano, uh, Norris Ring, which I'm not familiar with in Germany, uh, Assen and Brands Hatch. So, I mean, they got some great circuits, but yeah, I wonder if the, the lack of races comparatively will, will mean less uh, accolade in that respect. Yeah. Have Very interesting time. I uh, got one more email here if you want to get All through right. it. It's uh, another uh, uh, heads up from our friend uh, Dennis Van de Beau. He says, uh, this is about retiring shortly before the end of a race came up last oh, week. Yes. We were like, why would people retire? And actually, we got a couple of emails about this. So thanks so much for everyone uh, for sending them in. Um, as you may remember, I mailed you guys before about Marlborough's history with Ferrari since the tobacco ban. Now for something a little <laughs> less cynical. Um, thanks, I'm Dennis. not sure <laughs> whether this is why, but I always assumed racing uh, retiring just before the end of a race uh, was so that you could get the freedom to replace certain parts such as the gearbox without penalties for the following race you might be required to prove it uh, it was because your gearbox was broken but i guess they just use a big hammer on it um yeah and we had that confirmed by some other people that essentially they reckon the reason a lot of uh, the teams retire uh, close to the end when they have nothing really to race for is so they can change parts of the power unit without penalties got it okay yeah. but i wonder if that's like if you had finished then you would get a penalty because you're effectively what i think it's because i think they are retiring because there's a problem and then they can fix the problem Ah, as opposed to to not having a problem exactly fixing it yes quote unquote yeah huh weird there you go all right. Well, uh, if you'd like to send us an email, that is, again, uh, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. Uh, do we do personal Twitters here? I can't remember. I don't know. My my personal brand is uh, it's out there in the open. I'm uh, mostly trying to just... Uh, Tell me about post, your brand. I'm posting memes, a lot of memes, posting, <laughs> posting Monkey Island tweets today, feeling pretty good about it. At Danny Dwyer, if you want to get on that hot rush. Okay. Rob Zachney. At Rob Zachney on Twitter. I barely I'm at Drew Scanlon. Yes, same. <laughs> um, but uh, now that we've talked about where you can find us around the internet, Danny, it's time to now race around the internet. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Internet-only racing series. There are those, I guess. The uh, the iRacing leagues. Um, yeah. Maybe I should start putting those on the calendar. Cause Esports section. probably watch those for, for free. Yeah. Uh, the World Rally Championship is in Argentina Ooh. this weekend. Formula 2 is um, uh, supporting Formula 1 in Baku because it is, again, part of the European circuit. Uh, Formula E is in Guepari this Guepari. weekend. Um, the NHRA is at ZMAX Dragway uh, in Concord, North Carolina. Where's Z- what's the- ZMAX? I don't know. Googling ZMAX. Uh, they're racing at the NGK Spark Plugs Four Wide Nationals in I Charlotte. Think it's engine oil. It is okay. engine oil. Yep. Speaking of big old engines. Oh, yeah. We got an S car at the Talladega Speedway in Lincoln Ale. Four. Never. 
Heard of it. The Geico 500. That lizard sure is fast. <laughs> you run across water, not even sink. I think he's got a British accent, though. <laughs> Weird. Uh, and Formula One, everyone. Friday, it kicks off with practice one at 5 a.m. Oh. Eastern time. That's right. 5 a.m. Eastern time. Practice two is 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. Those are on ESPN2 and ESPNU, uh, respectively. Saturday, practice three, 6 a.m. on ESPN2. Uh, qualifying is at 9 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. And the race, everyone, Sunday, April 28th, uh, kicking off at 8 a.m. Oh, yeah. Eastern time oh, yeah. on ESPN2. The Deuce. Guess what time my daughter goes to sleep at in the morning for her first nap? Yum. <laughs> Yum time. Yum time, baby. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F one. Uh, yeah, we got, uh, we got, we got, let's see. I really am looking forward to sharing that, uh, TT 3d episode yes. with everybody. Uh, and I really want to see you fumble through, uh, that draw distance on the N 64. So thanks. Yeah. I believe of- you, I believe you voted for that one, which means that you used our <laughs> staff accounts to do that. So oh, I yeah. should really, I should really, like, call, call a mistrial or something, spoiled <laughs> most. But uh, I guess I that's... I had this game for my Nintendo 64. Man. Oh, you know. That makes it worse. Uh, and it is bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anything else from uh, from you, Danny? I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's. I think no matter what, it's going to be interesting in some respect. Um, watching those rookies go around it or, or if there, if there's some interesting collisions or... Or whatever. I, th- I think it's going to be a fun one. Curse of the commentator. And Robert? Yeah, same. I'm eager to see which teammate pair uh, get into it this year and <laughs> yes. uh, eventually just piss each other off so much that they uh, throw it away. That first corner, man, it's so good. I can't wait. And it all feels so achievable, is the thing. Of course you can make it. Everyone driving at, the, at Baku this weekend. Of course you can make it. Yeah. You have the distance. You got this. Go for it. The gap is the gap is right there. Look at it. It's right there. Well, I hope everybody else goes the distance at home. Thank you for listening. We will see you all next week. Yeah.